reading comes from Genesis 1, 26 through 31. Then God said, Let us make man in our own image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Grace. Great job. Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you. Glad you could be with us and worship. A few weeks ago, we started our series, We Are Family, and this series is grounded in the vision that we've been communicating with all of you uh, the past few weeks, that we want to be a growing family rooted in Jesus, sharing God's love with our neighbors and the world. That is our vision as a church, and uh, my hope is that as our church grows in this understanding over the, the weeks to come, it will increase our commitment and connection to one another as a church family. Our commitment and connection as a church family. I know many of you long for deeper, stronger relationships. And the concept of a church family, a tight church family, is a very positive one. Now, I was uh, communicating this idea with some of our staff a few months ago that I wanted to focus on this topic of family and one of the staff made an astute observation, uh, just noting that while focusing on family is a, can be a great thing, we have to be careful. We have to be careful not to focus so much on family that we become insular as a church, uh, almost like a clique, uh, a social club, and that we don't expect or desire new people to come into our family people who don't know Jesus. So we're, we're fighting this tension of being a strong church family, uh, being connected, being committed to one another, but also being very welcoming and expecting new people to join our family. And so that's why we're spending a, a little bit of time this morning in Genesis chapter 1. We're reflecting on an important theological concept here, the Imago Dei, the image of God. And we're going to allow the Imago Dei to shape our understanding 
of the people who are outside the walls of this church. Now, this past week, my wife and I went to Glacier National Park. We celebrated our 20th anniversary. You can clap. That's all right. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it is uh, we're something we're very thankful for, and I was very thankful to be at Glacier. This is a picture of um, St. Mary Lake. It, it is at the top, I think, of the most beautiful places I've ever been. It really was incredible. Um, there's another photo here uh, of, of me from the other angle. There's the lake and the mountains. And I have to say, Yosemite calls my jaw to drop. Glacier brought me to my knees. It really caused me to reflect and think about the majesty, the power of the God that we worship, that he would create such a place as this. But you know something that we discover in Genesis chapter 1 is that Glacier is not the most majestic of God's creations. Uh, in fact, this next photo is an example of the high point of God's creation. This next slide captures one of the most magnificent of God's creative acts. And this final photo reveals one of God's greatest achievements. That's what this passage shows us. Human beings are the high point of God's creation. C.S. Lewis said, There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. And we know this to be true because of Genesis chapter 1. Now let me make this point by noticing some of the unique features of our passage that Grace so eloquently read. Uh, the creation of humans is set apart through a series uh, of subtle contrasts with earlier parts of the creation account that we didn't read this morning. But let me show you a few examples. For, for example, if we go back to the beginning of the chapter in verse 3, where God begins in day one creating, it says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. If we were to move on to uh, the fifth day at verse 20, the passage tells us, And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth. And even if we were to skip to day six, which was the passage that we read, it begins at verse 24, actually, where it says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. Now, at verse 26, where we began reading this morning, we have the creation of human beings. And it's marked the same way with this, Then God said. However, God's word that follows is not an impersonal third person, let there be. Instead, if you noticed in the passage, we have a personal first person, let us make. Right there, you should notice, if you were to read the whole chapter, a change. Something unique is happening in this moment. It's different than the other days. And the other things that God created. Some scholars take this to be God speaking to his heavenly court. 
the angels present with him. Or uh, others might say that God here is speaking within the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, when he says, let us make. And there are other options that scholar point, scholars point out that it could mean, let us make. But what is not in dispute is that something different is happening here in this moment. So that's the first thing we see. The second thing we notice that throughout the previous narrative of creation, each creature is made according to its kind. But the account of creating humans specifically notes that the man and the woman were not made according to their kind. Rather, they were made in the image of God. They share in the likeness of their creator. It's different. It's unique. The third thing we notice in in our passage is that the creation of humans is specifically noted as a creation of male and female. That's not noted in the other creatures that we see described in Genesis chapter 1. The author is not interested in their gender, but he is with human beings. There's something different in the fact that they're uh, created male and female. It's important. And the fourth thing we see is that only humanity is given dominion over God's creation. In Genesis 28, humans are given dominion over all the other living creatures. Those of the sky, those of the sea, and those of the land. And so there's something distinctive about us in this account. And it's rooted in this concept of the image of God, the Imago Dei. Each and every person in this room is a carrier of the image of God. Now, in the ancient world, when this document was written, the book of Genesis, an image was believed in some ways to carry the essence of whatever it represented. So an idol image of a deity that was used in worship uh, was believed to have some sort of the essence of the God it represented. Now that doesn't mean that the image looked like the thing that it represented or looked like the God. Uh, But it was thought that some of the power or work of the God could be accomplished through that idol. So it wasn't so much that the idol represented what the God physically looked like, but it did in some ways represent the God in a physical form. And what we see in this passage is that there's something unique and distinctive about us as human beings, about the fact that we're created in the image of God. Now, I want to show you this next photo. Now, oohs and ahs, right? You have a picture of this Dog and this baby, two very sweet images. Who doesn't love dogs and babies, right? Uh, Both are sleeping. Both are very peaceful. Both are very cute. Both of them warm our heart. But there's, there's one thing about them that is very distinctive. One is created in the image of God, and the other is not. And there is a problem today in our culture of blurring those lines. We lose something when we lose this doctrine of the image of God 
it isn't that we elevate all the other animals to be on par with, with us as human beings. We actually lose our value and significance when we equate the two. There's something different and unique in the baby versus the dog. And we see this example in Scripture in the book of Genesis. If we were to go on to chapter 9 in the story, after the flood, uh, God is setting up Noah uh, and, and talking to Noah about what to do if someone were to take the life of another human being. And what we're told is, is this, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? For God made man in his own image. You have inherent value and worth, not because you're a human being, per se, but because you were created in the image of God. God has granted you significance and value and worth. This is such an important doctrine that we must hold on to as Christians. And we must not lose it because there are alternate worldviews in our culture that will say, no, you are the same as all the other creatures of the world. That we are no different. We've just kind of evolved from, from apes, so to speak, and that's all we are. One commentator in the New York Times, though, made this conclusion out of that worldview. He said this, When the Hubble Space Telescope pointed to a black spot in the sky about the size of an eraser head, for a week, it found 30,000 galaxies over 13 billion years old with many trillions of stars and many, many more trillions of inferred planets. So how significant are you? You are not a unique snowflake. You are not special. You are just another piece of decaying matter on the compost pile of this world. Nothing of who you are and what you will do in the short time you are here will matter. Everything short of that realization is vanity. You see, without the Imago Dei, without this doctrine of the image of God, that is the reasonable conclusion is the only reasonable conclusion that you don't matter in the end. It's all going to burn up. But if you hold on to this doctrine that we are made in the image of God, no one can take away your value. No one can take away your worth. Because we are made in His image. Take, for example, the fact that we are that the text tells us they were made male and female. What that tells us, friends, is that as Christians, we should be the first to speak out against objectification and harassment of women in any way where women are devalued in our culture. We should be the first to stand up and say, that is not right, that goes against a woman's value and significance as a creature made in the image of God. And we should not stand for it. This applies to all ethnicities, no matter what your ethnicity. 
We are of equal value and worth, and we should not accept any hint of prejudice or racial discrimination because we believe in the Imago Dei. It applies to people of all ages, to those people in the womb or those people at the end of their lives. All people made in the image of God are value and significant and important, and we as Christians should fight for them and fight for their protection. It even applies to people with significant mental challenges or relational challenges for whatever reason. The image of God is not dependent upon your intelligence or your ability to reason or your ability to relate in a, quote, normal way. Your value and significance is rooted in your, the fact you're created in the image of God. And no one can take that away from you. And we should fight for that as Christians, as a church. But not only does the image of God give us this value, it gives us purpose. It gives us a purpose. The Imago Dei gives us what we desperately need today in our culture as well. Not only value and significance, but purpose. Because to be created in the image of God means we are God's representatives here on earth. This idea of image of God means that we reflect who God is here on earth. We are like a mirror of God. We are not the source of light, so to speak, of God. We are more like a mirror of God, reflecting God's character, reflecting God's love, reflecting God's heart. To be an image of God is to be his representative here on earth. We are to be stewards of creation. That is why it, it, it boggles the mind how we as, as Christians can lose sight of the responsibility we've been given to take care of God's creation and the ways that we've abused that. Christians have abused that. We've lost sight of what it means that we are God's representatives, that we are God's stewards. But that's only a reflection of, of what we find happened in Genesis chapter 3. You see, that's the, the story that continues on in the next couple chapters where we see sin enters the world and something happens to us as God's mirror image. The mirror is cracked. The mirror is cracked. I have a slide here. It gives you a, a, maybe a visual of what the fall did to us as image bearers of God. You see, it distorts that image. It makes it very difficult to see, doesn't it? And that's what happened when sin enters the world. It, it cracks that image of God within us as human beings, and now all of us are disfigured in that way. And our sin and our selfishness causes us to do things that hurt each other and hurt God's creation. Instead of doing the things we were called to do, and that's to love God and to love our neighbors and to love his creation and to steward it. And this is the wonderful gospel that we believe in is that one man came and perfectly reflected the image of God. His, his mirror was not cracked. He was 
the image of the invisible God. That's what Paul tells us in Colossians 1. Jesus, when you read the Gospels, you see one who came and fully displayed and reflected the image of God to those who were with him. And as you read the Gospels and you read about Jesus Christ, you, you read and meditate on his life, on his teachings, on his character, on his actions, and we begin to see what it would look like if we could become more like him and to reflect God's image in a way that restores and heals and loves Instead of destroy. That's the restoration project that the gospel pronounces to us. That's what Jesus came to accomplish. So that now as believers in Jesus Christ, when we come into a relationship with him, God is in this restoration process where he's beginning to, to seal the cracks in the mirror. So Slowly, more slowly with some of us than others, <laughs> myself included. But God, through his restoration project of the gospel, begins to, to fix our mirror. We become more like Jesus. We're told in Romans 8, For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son, Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 3, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the, the same image from one degree of glory to another. The same image being the image of Christ. And so that is the wonderful news of the gospel. And that's the wonderful project that God is working in each and every one of us, restoring that image that was lost. So what do we do with this? How does it apply to this idea of family and creating a welcoming culture here at King's Church. Well, it, we, we start here, this foundational point, that if we are grounded in this concept of the Imago Dei, we should value and respect each and every person we come into contact with outside the walls of our church. We think about family, we think about those, that tight connection and commitment to each other. And this is an important distinction, I think, to make. Sometimes you'll hear people say, well, we're all God's children, no matter who you are. That's not what I'm saying, because I don't think that's biblical. We're not all God's family. I think this is where the Imago Dei is helpful. Last week, Robin spoke about God's family through Abraham and how we are part of God's family because we are spiritual descendants of our father Abraham through Christ. That is not true of every person that lives on the face of the earth. Not everyone is in God's family. But everyone is created in the image of God. And everyone is valuable and everyone is significant because of that fact. And so we cannot lose sight of that. That has to shape how we relate to others. And so the Imago Dei lifts up all people, all human beings, who, no matter who they are. The Imago Dei 
that doctrine allows us to hold that up and, and hold on to that. But the gospel for us in the family of God, what the gospel does is it reminds us of our broken mirror. It reminds us that we are broken people. It brings us down. It humbles us so that we cannot look at others as if we're superior. James chapter 3 tells us that no human can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Father, Lord, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. We should be challenged by that when we think about how do we talk about other people? How do we talk about people we disagree with? How do we speak? How do we vandalize creatures made in the image of God with, with our tongue. It should shape our culture as a church that we refuse to stand for that. That we will not allow such talk to happen within our church family about people outside of our church family. Don't stand for it. Don't let it happen. C.S. Lewis told us this, the load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid daily on my back, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it, and the backs of the proud will be broken. It is with the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. The Imago Day must shape our attitude, our posture as a church family to those outside our family. We don't simply welcome people who look like us, who act like us, who think like us, who vote like us. We welcome each and every person with dignity and respect. The respect they deserve. And we will become the kind of family that honors God and glorifies him. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, as we think about this wonderful doctrine of the Imago Dei, I pray that it would begin to seep into us as a church, into our conversations. It would challenge us that we would be people that repent of our gossip, repent of the ways we speak of others, dishonor your name. May we be pushed and challenged, Father, to grow in this area as a church as we open our arms to our community, as we, as we look at those outside our church with humility and eagerness to welcome them so that they might know you and be blessed by our family. Lord, as we enter into this time of the Lord's Supper, I pray that we would hear your voice calling us to the table to come and receive your grace and your mercy and your love. And may we be refreshed and energized by it, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.